friends. Thank you for joining me today. I want to talk with you about living in the I am of identity. You know that the wilderness experiences that we face in our lives are very, very important and they're very relevant to this process of identity. I really believe that the whole issue of pursuing identity, the search for identity that we pine after is really birthed out of the soul that needs to understand or feel its worth. There's a beautiful Christmas song, uh, it's O Holy Night, that speaks of the world being pining in sin and just being a hurting place in need of such a thing. And then the Christ child appears and the soul feels its worth. You know, Jesus will meet us in the most unexpected places. And I know he certainly has for me. The places I never would have guessed or imagined that he would show up, he showed up. The disciples had him show up out on the water when they were in the middle of a storm in their boat. Jesus showed up on the water. They didn't know if they were looking at a demon or, or God himself, but Jesus showed up. He showed up on the backside of the desert for Moses. He shows up and he will show up for you. I just really feel like there are people going through things right now that they're confused by and you feel like you need to control it. You feel like maybe you need to, you're praying all over the situation and asking God to change it. But I just want you to take a breath for a minute and, and recognize that perhaps Jesus wants to show up and show you something. So look for him in this place that might be a wilderness for you. Moses was such an amazing man with such an interesting story, born into uh, a Hebrew bloodline. And then for his life to be saved, he was found in a basket on the River Nile uh, by Pharaoh's daughter and then raised as a royal. Growing up in the palace, in the royal court, he was given every privilege known to man and he was highly educated. I'm sure he was gifted and he was favored and he was given position, he was given power. But he was also taught by his mother of the, the Hebrew ways and about their God, about Yahweh. And so Moses grew up with this kind of juxtaposed understanding of who he was, but not total clarity about what to do with all this information and all that he'd been given. And, uh, you know, it was, it was in this place that I believe that God actually pushed him and the passions that he was driven by, the love for his people and the, the disgust for the abuses that he was seeing in their slavery to actually thrust him out into the wilderness because his upbringing in, as a royal was only a part of his preparation. It certainly was a part of it, but it was only the beginning and there was more to come because God wanted to do something deeper in Moses because God saw who Moses really was and Moses had no idea. So I want to read to you a little bit actually from my book as I'm talking about this very, um, I'm covering this very uh, subject on living in the I am of identity. And uh, in chapter 7, it's obvious that from Moses' early days of infancy, when he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter in a floating basket on the Nile, he was marked and preserved by the hand of God and destined for purpose. However, his journey to that purpose was one filled with enormous challenge and tragedy, 
Clearly, God ordered every step, each and every step, intentionally favoring him to be placed as a royal son who would benefit from the finest education and material possessions available, but he didn't place him there to keep him there. It would only prove to be for a season. And I'm thinking about today's culture and the kind of favor and power and status that would be considered, you know, the, the place that Moses actually was at that time, how that would be really considered the pinnacle in today's culture here in, in a Western world, especially uh, the, the pinnacle of purpose and the pinnacle of, of one's influence. And often the very thing that we, you know, people chase after is this, this place of success, this place of favor. And, uh, I think that, you know, a lot of it, our, our own greed plays into some of that. It would have to. But could it be that God wants to actually bring us from that place and that taste of blessing into a new place of blessing where we can be on the backside of a desert in exile, banished from the house of Egypt, from the palace, banished from all the things and all the accolades and all the things that used to be, no longer being given, uh, being given influence, being given any kind of uh, credit or credibility and acknowledgement, and, and now being in a place of such aloneness that you're tending to another man's sheep for a living. Moses, when he left, Egypt. He left because he was uh, in a fit of his rage and passion for his people. He struck one of the guards that was abusing one of the slaves and then he was killed. And so he was banished into the desert. He was 40 years old at that time. And then he spends another 40 years in exile in the desert. So here he is now tending to another man's sheep. He's married a wife and he's just got a quiet little life. But at this point, you know, he's been living in the desert for 40 years. His body is more broken. He's aged. He's probably around 80 years old. And he's not a young man anymore. All of the, uh, all the recognition from the past doesn't matter. And I would imagine that the, the anguish of what had happened, the thing, that the, the momentary choice that he made that, that he had to pay for, the consequence that came for many years would have followed him and the anguish that would come from that, the regret that would come from that. I have lived with that kind of grief. I have lived with not only the loss of loved ones and the loss of love and disillusionment and the loss of my reputation. I have lived with the anguish of making decisions that not only I paid for, but someone that I loved had to pay for as well. How my life could have influenced even someone like my child. And maybe you're there. Maybe you feel like, you know, you're, all of your best years are behind you. The things that God, all the gifts and the talents that God gave to you and the dreams that you feel he gave to you are over. They're dead and they're gone. And now you're living on the backside of your desert in the wilderness. You're in exile because people have turned on you because you did some foolish things. And 
Now you're paying a dear price. My friend, this is a place where God hasn't turned on you. He sees you and he loves you. And like I said, Jesus shows up where you least expect him. So out in the desert, at this point of Moses' life, as he's herding the sheep, he comes upon a burning bush. And as he sees this bush, he thinks something's unusual about this because the bush is not, uh, it's not burning up. And uh, it's not burning to the ground. And it just continues to burn like it's a holy fire. And so Moses is recognizing as the voice comes from this burning bush that he's on holy ground. And the Lord tells him to take his shoes off because he's standing on holy ground. He can't even look at it. He turns away and he's, he's in fear at this point, the fear of God, because the presence of God is so real. And so Moses then takes his shoes off and as he's, as he's there on this holy ground, God begins to speak to Moses about the call that he has and the identity that he's placed on Moses. You see, Moses sees himself as a failure. He sees himself now as just this marginalized, insecure man who he can't even really speak right anymore. But God sees him as a weapon. God sees him as for the purpose that he had from the moment of his birth. He is the weapon that God will use to deliver the children of Israel out of bondage. And God is going to use everything all of the preparations from the moment of his birth on and now from the, the days that he has spent emptying out of all the ego, of all of the strengths that he found in his flesh, all the pats on the back, all the favor, all the thing, the material things are gone. And now God is telling him, I'm going to use you, Moses. I am commanding you, Moses. This is what I'm asking you to do. And Moses must obey. Moses doesn't want to obey because Moses is terrified in his flesh. He says, I, you know, he says to God, I, listen, I'm weak. I'm not, I'm not really a spokesman. I'm not the one. But God says, you are. I felt that way. And, you know, when we compare ourselves to what we think is uh, what God might want to use, we actually can go so wrong. And it's comparing ourselves to other people and to other people's strengths, the things that we see on the outside, their projections. We're comparing our internal stuff to their outward projections, and it's the worst thing that we can do. The only thing we must compare ourselves to is to the Word of God. And do I align with your heart, Lord? It's a constant search, a, const a place of saying, God, let me surrender my heart to you. And I want to be available to you. We empty out so that he can fill us up. And Moses then, or God then said, you know, what's in your hand, Moses? And all that he had at this point of his life was a staff where he had been leading the sheep. Isn't it ironic? Isn't it interesting? that he would go and he would now lead the people of God, the children of Israel, out of their bondage into their exodus in a place that was once his exile. He's going to set them free using nothing but the staff that's in his hand. You may think that whatever's in your hand is too humble, too small, 
It's, it's ill-equipped. But what I want to tell you is that when God breathes on whatever it is in your hand, because you've given it to him, you've chosen to be obedient to him, he will use that to do mighty, mighty miracles and great exploits. He wants to do a great thing through your life to change the world around you. Maybe that's your family. Maybe it's your children that you are praying for. Maybe there are pre- people, co-workers that you work with that God is showing you these people are in bondage. That's what he's done in my heart, in my life. That's why I'm sitting here today and I'm not the best speaker in the world. I'm not a theologian. I'm just somebody who's walked on the backside of my desert. I'm somebody who's lost her reputation once, who gave everything up and gave it to God and said, breathe on my broken pieces. All my best is behind me. I'm not able anymore. Matter of fact, I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm under par. I'm not even par. And at one time in my life, I remember just it was everything to me to be the best at everything I did. I found my value that way. But see, it was my encounter at that intersection with Jesus where he showed up when I least expected him that changed me, that healed me. And that began to speak to me about who I was and what he wanted me to do. Something coming to mind, I I stood on a vista in Israel just a few years ago. And pardon my tears, it it means so much to me. But I stood at this place overlooking the Dead Sea just just about three or four years ago. And the Lord just so strongly uh, and, and clearly spoke to me. As I'm overlooking, uh, it's just at sunset, and there was a milky haze and over that mineral-rich horizon. And I'm looking at Mount Moab off to my right and Mount Jordan to my left. And I'm realizing, as the Lord says, Brenda, look, I want you to see how far I have brought you. And as I'm looking at Mount Moab, I'm realizing that the Moabites were a people that were birthed out of incest. That was my story. My identity had come from this place of shame because of the abuse that took place when I was a little girl. And that led me into other abuses, domestic violence, and years of disappointment, and years of regret, and years of codependency, and broken marriages. And what God showed me was that he had brought me through my journey and the course of leaving those things behind to pursue him to follow hard after him and leave the dead things behind. That he would then place my feet at a higher vantage point where I could see the way out for others. And he said, other people need to get out. They want to get out, but they don't know how. And they need the tools to get out. They need to be told how. They need to know the way. I know that Jesus is the only way out. We can, we can fix ourselves and we can go to counseling. And I think those things are all wonderful. And I went to counseling and I think we need to do that because we need to work those things out and understand the dynamics of what we're dealing with. But if the person of Jesus is not at the center of that process, there is no real healing. There's only coping. And so I want to encourage you today that he, Jesus, is the way. Let me read to you again from uh, another portion of that chapter in my book, Living in the 
I am of identity. When the enemy thinks he has stolen your past, don't let him have your future. Find your belonging and identity in the great I am, and you will find your destiny to change the world around you. The most assuring part of this story is that Moses would not have to go forward alone. He was clothed in the glory of heaven as God told him, do not fear, I will be with you. And when Moses asked what name he should refer to him by, God answered, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. And, you know, I'm here just offering to you today that I am has sent me to you, just as he will send you to someone else. And reading on, one of the most beautiful illustrations I've heard on the subject of the great I am is described by Jonathan Kahn in the Book of Mysteries. God's name is made up of four Hebrew letters, the Yud, the He, the Vav, and the He, or Yahweh, meaning I am. The name of eternal. We say his name when we say our own. I am Brenda. It is woven into the fabric of existence that when you speak of yourself, you must first say his name. Your existence comes from his existence. Your I am only exists because of his I am. You know, we must draw from the, the source of origin instead of our ego if we really want authenticity in our identity. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the gate to the Father. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. He was, uh, he was the great I am in the flesh and the first of many brethren. That's you and I. And I just want to encourage you today that you may feel like you're striving to be authentic and you're, you're striving to be powerful and to have purpose, but maybe you've been going about it all the wrong ways. So I want to encourage you today that Jesus is here in the midst of your struggle and he's actually ordering your steps because he loves you so much. Embrace him in this season and allow him to bring to fullness his image in you. I also want to encourage you to get my book because I think it will be, uh, it's full of a lot of tools and it will be something that will help you as you walk out your journey of discovering who you are. It's called Fight Forward, Reclaim the Real You. And in it, I give my own story of coming out of childhood sexual abuse, and domestic violence, and all of the false projections that I once had and the counterfeits that the enemy sold to me like a bill of goods, the deception. It's my own journey that I've told very vulnerably so that you can also find a safe place to find your own. And I also would encourage you to uh, help somebody else with it if you know somebody that is hurting and that might be encouraged by it today. I want to thank you for joining me and uh, join me again next time. We're going to be on the road and I'm going to keep that, this next one as a surprise for you. 
but uh, I just really appreciate you being here. And we're going to have a lot of fun as we continue on this journey of discovery. Be blessed. Mm -hmm.